with Psalm 119, and we're going to look at this passage, a couple verses in the Psalms, um, and continue what we started here a few weeks ago, the sufficiency of God and then the sufficiency of Scripture, and we're going to take a look at some things. Um, As the Lord leads us over the next few Sunday nights, um, just look at some specific ways that the Word of God is a help. We Way back when we started this, we looked at 2 Timothy, about how this all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. So we're going to look at some specific ways in which the Scripture is profitable to us as believers in ways that we, it can be of help to us. All right, And it says all Scripture, so we can learn from anywhere in Scripture either by principle or by pattern. And so here in Psalm 119, let's just read, I'll read verse 49 and verse 50, and then we'll pray, and then we'll get into our study more tonight. All right, remember the word, verse 49, remember the word unto thy servant, upon which thou hast caused me to hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. Heavenly Father, we thank thee for thy word tonight, for these two precious verses out of of this whole grand psalm that emphasizes the written scripture. And we ask for thy direction tonight, Father, for the Holy Spirit, as you look into the word, and it might be certainly that its profitability might be exercised to each of us, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Now, when you read the book of Psalms, some of the Psalms give the writer's name, all right? I'm just flipping here, Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Many of them say a Psalm of David. Psalm 92 says a Psalm or song for the Sabbath day. And so Psalm 92 is all about the Lord's house and being planted there, rooted there. And of course, that principle carries over. Because the house of of the Lord in the Old Testament was the tabernacle and later the temple. In the New Testament, the house of God is the church. The local local assembly is also called the house of God. But if you look at Psalm 119, there is no heading, there is no signature, as it were, of who wrote the hymn. And as we have mentioned, especially the book of Psalms, the book of Psalms is, 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 is quite unique in that it often relates the experiences of those who wrote it, their praises, their prayers, their times of sorrow, their, you know, their times of joy, and all those things. So it's very helpful in that way. So um, as we would look through Psalm 119, there are several times when affliction or sorrow or trouble or even horror, there's a, even a mention of horror in this psalm, about those who keep not the word of God. And I think in that, in that context, in that scripture, it's talking about those who do violence or do evil because they have no regard for the word of God. And so today we could relate that to terrorists and those who just are out to destroy everything. And we can actually, you know, we can be fearful of those things. But so I said all, I said all that to say, whoever wrote this psalm was a man who was acquainted with difficulty and sorrow and affliction. 
So um, I just I went to the computer. I don't do that a lot, but once in a while I do. So I got sat down and went to this thing, and I said, "Who wrote Psalm 119?" <laughs> just out of just out of curiosity, and there was a bunch of things that popped up, and every one of them said it's been narrowed down to two men. They that they either one could have written Psalm 119. Of course, number one, David. Right? He's he was one of the ones that was mentioned. But also Ezra is mentioned. In fact, many believe back in the old days, many of the, the rabbis and many of the, the people, the men of Israel believe that Ezra actually wrote Psalm 119. But anyway, I wanted to just talk about these two men for just a moment. And then we're going to look at a New Testament character. But some, some things about... David and Ezra, that made both of them qualified, if you will, to write this psalm. We know that it was written by a holy man of God, because that's what Second Peter says. The scripture was, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy, holy Ghost. So the word came from God, we know that. But let's, talk, let's think a little bit about David and Ezra. Both were true men of God. No doubt, David was probably Israel's greatest king. Not probably he was, because every future king was compared to him, right? Um, Ezra was a great man of God. Um, David is called the sweet psalmist of Israel in 2 Samuel 23.1, which records the last words of David. And over 70 of the psalms, at least 73 of the psalms are attributed directly to him. Ezra, on the other hand, was referred to as a ready scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. That's Ezra 7.6. Ezra was also a priest, according to um, the book of Ezra. So they both were writers. Um, Both men were intensely interested in the house of the Lord. Both men loved the word of God. Both were men of prayer and praise. Both were used of God to minister to Israel. David as king, Ezra as a scribe, but Ezra the one who was burdened of God to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And he was commissioned by the king and, and so on. All right, so they, they are both just so, so, so much indebted and, and, and interested in the, the house of the Lord. And uh, David was all, you know, he worked on the tabernacle. There's different mentions of things that he did. Um, and of course, he longed to build the temple, right? But God said, no, you, I'm going to have your son do that. And so David accepted that. But the Bible says, and I love it, um, that David spent the rest of his life preparing material. And he gave him his own, it says, of his own substance to lay aside materials and things and get ready for the building of the temple. Well, then... Ezra, um, after the Babylonians came in and destroyed the temple, Ezra was used of God to go and lead the rebuilding of the temple. And then, of course, along with Nehemiah, Nehemiah was famous for rebuilding the wall, rebuilding the city. So the two men both had a part. All right. Um, Then both knew of affliction. Both knew of trouble. Um, Ezra was among the captives who was allowed to go back by the king of Persia. Obviously, David was a man of affliction, different different oppositions and, and enemies and so forth. Both men 
went to God and to the Word of God in times of trouble. So they're both, they're both tremendous examples to us. Now, Psalm 119 and verse 49, the psalmist pleads to God. Now, this is a tremendous verse. Remember the word, in other words, the word of God, unto thy servant. And the word remember there means to look with favor or to fulfill the word of the, unto thy servant. Notice this, upon which thou hast caused me to hope. All right, so... The idea here of the psalmist's prayer is, first of all, he knew the promises of God. He knew the word of God, and it, could, it may well have been specific promises that he read, he studied, perhaps some that he even wrote, that he had, that he had kind of staked his life upon, and that had caused him to hope, right? And we have hope in the scriptures. In fact, Paul wrote that we are to look the things that were written before, were for our learning that we th- that we might have, and we might have comfort and hope through the scriptures. And so there were certain scriptures, and he doesn't say what those were, but he said there's certain parts of the Word of God that he had taken, that he had clung to, and as he had hoped upon. And uh, he says to God, "Bring these to pass. Um, remember these in my life. In other words, fulfill them. Not let God forgot. All right, but remember, think about." In the day when Noah and all the, the you know his family and the animals were in the ark, and uh, Genesis eight one says God remembered Noah. In other words, it means He turned to him to fulfill His promise, and that's what the psalmist says here. And we, I remember people in the old days when I was a young fellow, started going to church and it'd be prayer. I can remember people saying, "God remember, remember so and so." We, I don't think we do that so much anymore, but, you know, remember those missionaries over there and what, and what they're going through. All right, now, verse 50. This is my comfort, the psalmist said, in my affliction. All right, this is my comfort. Um, the word comfort means consolation or solace. So this is what gives me hope. This is what strengthens me. This is what keeps me going. Affliction here means suffering, misery, or trouble. It, can, it doesn't specify. It could be physical. It could be uh, emotional, spiritual, mental. It could be any. It could be uh, persecution. It could be threats from the enemy. It could be anything. And so, um, for thy word hath quickened me. Quickened here means to quicken means made to live, recovered or revived, and this is one of the blessed mysteries of the Word of God. Thy Word hath quickened me; that is, Thy Word has infused new life into me. The Word of God can do that. All right, and that's in this context of what we're looking at tonight. Um, we're looking at how the Word of God helps us in time of trouble, in time of affliction. All right, now. Please turn with me now to the to Second Corinthians chapter twelve. Um, and we are going to spend some time tonight looking at the life of a man who was no stranger to affliction. That is, that's the Apostle Paul. Right? In fact, he some of his writings dealt specifically um, with afflictions. Um, <clears throat> Wednesday night um, we were talking about. Ministry. We're talking about offerings, 
that we make to the Lord as New Testament priests. And we, we mentioned a little bit about the ministry of Paul. We said we're going to talk about ministry and we're going to start at the top, all right, with the Apostle Paul, the greatest minister, if you will, of Christ who ever lived. And, and so when we're talking about afflictions and trials, we, we, I would put Paul at the top of that too. He got a lot of those. In fact, if you want to be reminded, um, 2 Corinthians 11, starting at verse 23, Paul lists all his afflictions. We won't take time for that tonight, but I encourage you, you know, to think when we think that we're having a hard time or whatever, things are rough, we could go back, we could look at 2 Corinthians 11 and put us all together, stack up all of our afflictions. They don't match up to what Paul himself experienced in his life. All right, now, doesn't say we won't. We may experience some things in our lives, and, and we need to go, <clears throat> know how to go to the Word of God. And so, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 starts with a glorious experience. And although Paul does not say it was him, um, in, in indications are that he's talking about a personal experience, a personal experience that he had at some point in his life. In fact, look at what it says in verse number one. It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. In other words, there, there's no doubt, Paul says, that I ought not to be glorying. I ought not to be building myself up. Now, um, <clears throat> one of the things that Paul had to do, found, found himself needing, needing to do, was to defend and justify his ministry to the Corinthians. Because there were several who had come to Corinth, they were trying to undermine Paul's ministry and say that he wasn't really an apostle, he wasn't a true servant of Christ. And so there's a lot of material in Corinthians, first and second, but especially second Corinthians, where Paul lays before the Corinthians his credentials as an apostle. And that's what he, you know, he says, that, that I really don't want to do this, you know. But let's skip, in verse, let's go to verse um, 11. He says, I am become a fool in glory, and you have compelled me. In other words, you, you force me to do this with your rejection of my ministry, with all of the criticisms of things going around, the false accusations and all that. So Paul said, I, I don't want to do that, and I'm not doing it. For selfish reasons, I wanna, I'm doing it because I want you to understand that what I, the ministry I've done with you and for you is the word of God, the will of God, and it's necessary. You are not going to walk aright if you follow these false teachers. And so that's all, and it's putting it simply, but that's the reason why he's doing this, all right? He says, what I will do, verse 1, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I will tell you what God has done, not what I've done. He said, I'm, he, I'm listing the credentials, but they're not mine. They're what God has given. It's what God has done. It's what the grace of God has done for me. Way back in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, I'm, I'm not fit to be an apostle because I persecuted the church of God, but verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And he went on to say, talk about that. All right, I'll come, to, I'll come. In other words, I will point to, and I will stand upon what God has done, the visions, the revelations that the Lord has, has given to me. And so here is the experience. I knew a man in Christ, in other words, a saved man, above 14 years ago. 
whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell. So in other words, he's saying that this person, Paul, you know, whether he was in the body or whether he was out of the body, in other words, whether this was a real experience or a vision from God, I cannot tell, God knoweth. Now, unfortunately, out of that little statement, out of the body, has risen this interest in and people proclaiming out-of-body experiences. Not what was intended here at all, all right? <clears throat> Such a one, here's, here was this here was experience. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. All right, let's hang on I, and see what that, he'll explain what that means here, right in these verses. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth. How that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. So in other words, Paul says that this person, in, in, you know, whether in reality or in vision, went up to the very throne of God, paradise, the third heaven, right? And so we have the, the first heaven, Genesis chapter 1, the firmament of heaven. The second heaven is the planets, the galaxies, and the third heaven is God, where God's throne is. Okay, So Paul said this person went right there. In Revelation, we have seen many scenes of heaven, in heaven, and the throne of God, and all those things. So this, so he went up there. This person saw that, and it says that in verse 4, he heard unspeakable words. In other words, it means that words that are inexpressible, too sacred to tell, right? With what he saw. Now, God gave John things to write down, but this particular person saw beyond that, saw things greater than that. In fact, at one point, John was going to write, and, and the, the voice said, don't write, don't write these things down, right? So it was unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. In other words, not permitted because of the greatness and glory, right? Could not be put into words. Of such a one I will, will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in my infirmity. So Paul says the only thing that I'm going to glory in is my human weakness and infirmities. Now he'll, now he'll, he'll explain why in just a moment. So because not only did he have write about <clears throat> a glorious experience, he wrote about a grievous affliction. Now we've all heard and read about Paul's thorn in the flesh. We have we have referred to that. I know I have many several times over the years, time time again, have referred to this thorn in the flesh. All right, and we know or we we don't know. We know that the Bible doesn't say what it is specifically. All right. But let's see, what do do we know from Paul's own words? What did he experience? What was this affliction? Well, notice in verse 7, after the fact, after it happened, um, Paul understood the reason. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. In other words, Paul said, here's why. This was given to me, lest I should be exalted above measure. In other words, lest I should be elevated, lest I should be exalted, lest I should be puffed up, whatever, lest I should come unto a high 
too high a level of myself or whatever because of all that God had done. You know, Paul wrote perhaps, we know he wrote 13 books of the New Testament and perhaps 14, if you include Hebrews. So 27 books in the New Testament, over half written by Paul. I mean, and he and God did great things. God showed him great things and all, all these kind of, all these things that God did for him. And so there was a danger for him to become proud in his own mind in the, and in the flesh, all right? And he warns people in the New Testament about thinking too highly of anyone, including ourselves, let, every, you know, for no, let no man think more highly of himself than he ought to think. And so God knew, God saw the danger in Paul's life of becoming too inflated, too you know, puffed up, too proud. And so he says, there was given to me, there in verse 7, a thorn in the flesh, now, I just think about the word thorn. Now, it doesn't mean a thorn on the thorn bush, but there's a comparison there. You ever got caught in thorns? I have. <laughs> a couple times, walking through the woods, and I thought, well, I can make it through here. And, oh, man, I remember one time, man, I was caught. I don't know if I, that was how I ruined that one coat, remember? <laughs> that kind of windbreaking jacket. I can get through here. Wow, and I mean, I was caught, and I just had to, and I didn't have a knife, or I didn't have anything. I finally got out of it, but my coat was torn all over the place, and I just remember those thorns, having to pick those thorns out, um, and, uh, and, and so things like that happen. If you've ever gotten a thorn, you know how painful they can be. And you have, I've known seen people that actually got one under their skin and couldn't get it out, and it got infected. I mean, thorns, are, they're painful. So Paul describes this as a thorn-like thing, all right? A thorn in the flesh, and here the flesh refers to the physical body. So it was something physical and painful that came into Paul's life. Notice what else he calls it, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. Right? So it was sent by the devil. In other words, so Paul would know that, the, so that you know, this is what God allowed the devil to do. And he used it. God used it. Obviously, the devil didn't intend it for good. He intended it for evil. And so um, I want to just mention that the devil has some kind of knowledge and he has some power. His knowledge is warped. He is, he is so bent on evil that he can't think straight, so to speak. And so he intends everything for evil and to thwart God's plans and to fight God, but God turns it around for good. The greatest, one, of the, one of the greatest examples is Job. Satan intended to destroy Job. God used it to, to, for a victory over the devil. All right? Now, so... This was a messenger of Satan. Notice it says, to buffet me. And that word buffet, the definition of the word translated buffet here, means to pound with the fists, to beat and to torment. So this was something serious. In fact, the same word is used in Mark 14.65 for the treatment the enemies gave Christ when they beat him and buffeted him and all those kinds of things. Same thing. So physical blows 
So whatever this was, it was a physical infirmity. Now, we can gather <clears throat> from what Paul wrote in Galatians that he had, he had poor eyesight. This was probably not the thorn. This was something else, something in addition to that, all right? So it was something very, very painful. And I wrote in my notes, not to, not to be sarcastic, but it was not just a hangnail. It wasn't just a minor thing. I think we can read through this and think it may have been just a minor if in affliction or pain, but Paul, it was not. It was so grievous and painful and tormenting that Paul prayed. He besought the Lord. Look at verse 8. For this thing... I besought the Lord thrice. The word beseech here, besought, means I begged, I pleaded with God thrice, three times, that it might depart from me. That's how bad it was. Paul felt like he could not go on with it. Ask God to take it away. Now, that tells me this, that it's okay to pray. It's all right to ask God to take away, to heal, to help, right? But we have to leave the results with God, all right? Ultimately, now there's people we're praying for. I mean, it's, I think it's, how appropriate is this that we're looking at this? We have Mary, we have Pastor Griffith, we have different people that we're praying for. We have a whole list of folks on, for, on our prayer list. They have different physical things, or we've been praying for them. And, um, you know, and we can do that. God says to do that. The Bible says, let your requests be made known unto God. All right? Now, so it's all right to pray. Now, all right, and I think you know the answer to this, but why did Paul only pray three times? Well, because after the third request, God answered. Now, he didn't answer the way Paul hoped he would answer. Right, and I've heard people. I've actually had heard people make fun of this. You know, we as Christians believe that God answers every prayer. Right? Sometimes He answers yes and gives us exactly what we want. Sometimes He answers no. Sometimes He answers wait. So, in other words, like no answer is kind of a wait answer. Keep on. I've had people make fun of that. Like on the media, I heard somebody one time, I don't know how the subject came up, but they said, oh, these, these Christians are so dumb. They're so stupid. They just think every prayer is answered. And, they even, and when they don't get what they want, they make up stuff. Like, you know, God said no, or God said wait. Well, that's what the scripture says. The scripture tells many examples of what God, how God answers prayer. So here was God's answer to Paul. All right? And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. What does the word sufficient mean? It means it meets the need. It answers. It provides the answer. So what, Paul, what God says to Paul is this. Basically, no. He said, I'm not removing the thorn. I'm giving you grace sufficient to endure it to bear it and so on my grace is sufficient for thee for my strength that is God's power is made perfect in weakness so God's power finds its completion finds its fulfillment in our weakness 
All right. And again, here it was a it was a weakness. It was a it was whatever this affliction was, this thorn, it caused weakness. It's it took away his strength and he thought it took away his ability or hindered his ability to serve God. All right. And so we need to remember that whatever it is that God wants us to do, we are totally inadequate to do it. We must have God's strength. I, and I'll never forget, it made a big impression years ago over at Tri-State at the men's retreat. The speaker was Pastor T- uh, Tim Jordan from Lansdale, and he was having a session, and he said to all of us guys, what is the number one requirement to serve Christ? Oh, man, hands went up all over the place. Faithfulness, holiness. And, and he said, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> he took us to this passage of Scripture, and he said, the number one requirement to serve the Lord is weakness. Right? Weakness. And he goes on to say, down in verse 11, let me read that again. I read part of it. Let me look, let's see how this, let, let's look at how this verse finishes. Paul says, I am become a fool in glory. He says, I, I'm, I'm, I know I've been, fool, I've been like a fool in defending myself, but he says, you have compelled me. I had to do it, for I ought to have been commended of you. Paul says, really, you ought to be commending my ministry, not me, but what, what God has done. For in nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. So in our Christian life and in the ministry, he is everything and we are nothing. Now we're, you know, in other words, we have nothing, we contribute nothing. The closest thing we contribute is obedience. But that even comes as a response to the working of God in our life. All right, so my strength is made perfect in weakness. So the weaker we are, the the idea is, the principle is, the weaker we are, the stronger God is. The The more we're out of it, out of the picture, the more God, Christ, can fill it. All right, so let's see what else he says. This is a great, this is the great promise, by the way. The third point The first one is a glorious experience, the second a grievous affliction, and the third a great promise. He makes this promise. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect weakness. So there's the promise given. God says, my grace is sufficient. There's nothing too hard for God. We can look at so many examples, and we hope maybe we will as God directs, but I think about Mary. Not Mary Ober, but the Virgin Mary. Now, she was totally, She could not. She was totally inadequate to have the Son of God. She couldn't do anything. And Joseph couldn't have had a part in that. Or it would have been sin, and he wouldn't have been the Son of God. She was absolutely. In fact, she said to the angel, "How can this be? There's no way I can have a child. I'm I'm a, I'm a virgin. I'm, I'm not married. I've never been with a man." And you know what? What did the angel say? We'll figure out something. No, the angel said, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. So it was all accomplished through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he said to her, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. All right. So the grace of God. All right. The grace of God. Now, here's Paul's response. And I call this the promise grasped. He got it. All right. Most gladly. 
Most gladly, therefore. In other words, I'm, I'm so, I'm, I'm happy. Therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. That is, my weaknesses. And this is not the only one, by the way. He says weaknesses, and that Paul had weaknesses. Like, we all, we all have weaknesses, right? Because of the sin nature, because, I mean, because of what's going on. I mean, you know, and there's all, this thing, this idea, this principle, this study could take all different directions. Um, because when Moses said to God, you know, I can't speak, you know, and, and Moses could speak, but that's not the point. God didn't say, I know you can't speak, or he didn't say, he didn't say yes, you can. God said, I will be with your mouth. In other words, if Moses could have been the best speaker on earth, but he still wasn't adequate, right? And that's the whole, we take that so very far. And by the way, so God said to Moses, who made man's mouth? Or who made the blind and the lame? In other words, God's over all that. And God is, if a person, if a child is born with birth defects, you might, you could, the doctors may say, you know, this is caused by, or they say, we don't know what it's caused by. Ultimately, it is because it was part of God's plan for that individual, all right? Someone's born blind, or someone goes blind. We, we sang our Fanny Crosby hymn tonight, six weeks old. She was blind. She was made blind by a doctor who gave her Bad treatment for scarlet fever left her blind. He meant to try to heal her fever and so on, but it ended up he put these hot compresses on her eyes and it blinded her. So you could say he did it. Well, yeah, maybe, but God had a plan. She became probably maybe the greatest hymn writer ever because, because along with the blindness, God gave her this marvelous ability to write, to compose poetry. And all those sort of things. And so he says, I will glory in my infirmities. I'll talk about my infirmities. In fact, you know, it's, it's almost like I will boast about my nothingness. Which sounds weird, but in other words, what he's actually saying is I'm, I'm boasting on God. On his grace. You want to know about me? I'll tell you how weak I am. Again, why? <clears throat> that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That's a, that's a, oh, that's a tremendous statement. Rest upon me is the idea of to rest upon, to dwell with, to take up residence. It's, very, it's similar language to the Old Testament when the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire, when it rested upon the ark, or yes, upon the ark, or upon, it said, when it rested there, Israel rested, and when it moved, they moved. But the idea was that that presence was constantly with them, guiding them, helping them. So that's what Paul's saying here, that I've, under, I've come to understand that my infirmities, my weaknesses, cause me to rely upon God, which causes his power to rest upon me. And it's, it's similar language to the word was made flesh and dwelt among us right and so it's the idea there that the power of christ will dwell with us and will be constantly with us 
rest upon us, take up residence in our life. Therefore, verse 10, I take pleasure. That, that word take pleasure means to be pleased with, to delight in. Now, it really, it takes a lot. <clears throat> Paul didn't get to that point, point overnight. It took a lot of it, walking with God. It took a lot of experience. It took a lot of him uh, serving God and being put in many situations where he, and even, and basically this thorn of the flesh was kind of like the capstone. I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches. Infirmities is the idea of weaknesses, and reproaches, is, reproaches rather, is opposition or when people speak against. Necessities is the idea of being in straits, being in an area where we don't know where to turn, where we have a need that we can't meet. In persecutions, that's obvious. In distresses, for Christ's sake. First Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians, Paul talked about they despaired of life. They didn't think they were going to survive. Being in distress, under attack. Why? For Christ's sake. See, that's in carrying out the ministry, living the life that God wanted to live. For when I am, when I am weak, so in other words, in my weakness, then am I strong. So, so in other words, when I am inadequate, when I am powerless, when I am weak, I'm strong because of the power of Christ. All right, now, we're going, to have, we're going to look at one more scripture, and, and uh, Philippians 2, and, while you're, and so turn there please, Philippians chapter 2, and then I want to make just a few uh, closing, kind of bringing things together, a couple thoughts, and then we'll look at a different, another example, and I hope you get the connection, and what I'm trying to bring across here in this final few thoughts. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to take a look at that in just a moment. Um, <clears throat> but I have uh, four things. I want to leave with you based on this passage of Scripture. And I'm not, not getting into reasons. We might do that as time goes on in future message. But number one, we all have afflictions and troubles. Right? And I would say along with that, we are inadequate to carry out what God has for us. We are inadequate to live the Christian life. We are inadequate. I'm inadequate to be a pastor, preacher, you're inadequate to be a Sunday school teacher, deacon, whatever. We're in ourselves. We're inadequate. All right? We'd, so we all have that. <clears throat> Number two, we can and should pray concerning them. All right? We need to take it to the Lord. Number three, we need comfort, encouragement, and empowering that only the Word of God can give. Number four, we need to trust God to always do the right thing. Now, I, I really believe that when we get to heaven, God, we're going to learn. God's going to explain. He's going to tell us and teach us what we didn't know down here. I, I really believe that. Um, but in the meantime, we need to trust God. And we need to trust God in, that, as Romans 8 says, that I am persuaded, or I reckon, Paul said, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. All right? All right, now let's see what Philippians chapter 2. I want to take a look at this for just a couple of moments and kind of compare it to what happened with Paul 
in his affliction. All right. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 25, he says, Yet I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. In fact, in the context here of chapter 2, Paul is talking here in these verses that he wants to go, he wants to go there as well. He wants to return to Philippi, and, and history tells us he did eventually. He's in prison right now. As he, as, as he writes Philippians chapter 2. And so he's hoping to come, but he says, in the meantime, I, I'm gonna, I need to send. I, I, I think it's necessary. I need to send Epaphroditus. All right? My brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, by the way, there's a message right there, that, that puts Epaphroditus in some pretty good company. All right? That, he would, that Paul would consider him a companion in labor, his brother, a fellow soldier. But your messenger and one that ministered to my wants. And so he had been sent from them to minister to Paul. For he longed after you all. All right? He, he longed after. I mean, he was filled with longing and was full of heaviness because that he had heard that he had been sick. So in other words, Epaphroditus, he was, just, he was burdened because he, he, they had heard he'd been sick and he wanted to assure them that he was all right. Great, great attitude. In verse 27, again, for indeed he was sick nigh unto death. Again, it wasn't just a little cold. He, he, was, re- he, was, to, he was close to death physically. But God had mercy on him. And not on him only, but on me also. Lest I should have, been, should have sorrow upon sorrow. In other words, God knew as he knows all things, that this, if, if Epaphroditus would have been taken home to glory, it would have been an extra, an extra sorrow, a burden upon Paul. Probably, among other things, because he was in jail, and he was, he was so blessed by Epaphroditus' ministry to him when he was in prison, and it would have been like, you know, we're here. if he would have gone home at that time, Paul would have thought, hey, we've, we've lost another servant of God. We, all right? And we, we think about that at times when God takes a servant. And, and there's been many, many over the years that God's preachers, have, some of them have gone home to be with the Lord very young, um, sometimes through car crashes, whatever. And so I understand we're exactly what Paul was thinking here. And so God had mercy. Now, Verse 20, I sent him therefore the more carefully that when you, saw, when you see him again, you may rejoice and that I may be the less sorrowful, all right? Receive him. So in other words, God re- recovering, the, giving back his health and strength, Epaphroditus, that was a blessing to Paul, said so it's going to be a blessing to you as well. When you see him, receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation. In other words, high regard, high esteem. Why? Because for the work of Christ... He was nigh unto death. So he, he basically was, had, had worked himself to the point of death, not regarding his life. So here it was, to supply your lack of service toward me. So I'm, as, it's, as, as we look at these verses, I'm thinking that Epaphroditus had gotten sick, but he kept on going because Paul had needs, and he perhaps saw himself, and maybe rightly so, as the only one who could provide those needs at that time. And Paul is not, he's not criticizing the Philippian church for not helping because they, at that time, because they had helped several times. In fact, in chapter 4, Paul says, I understand you were concerned, but you lacked opportunity. You didn't have the opportunity. 
And so during the time when you didn't have the opportunity, Epaphroditus stepped up, and he even he put his own life at risk in order to do what needed to be done. So that's a marvelous testimony about Epaphroditus. Very little is said of him in the scripture, but we know from what is said here, he was a, he was a wonderful um, servant of God. And so, this, um, so that's it for tonight. Um, as far as the grace of God, as far, as far as afflictions go, and they do cause us to go to the Lord, cling to him, rely upon him, and uh, God, God, God will help by grace, God will meet needs, God will help us, and again, um, we just need to trust the Lord in all these situations. All right, and again, questions. If you have questions about these things, I'd love to have them. Um, or any subject, we're going to, hopefully as God leads, we're going, we'll cover your questions. Um, but anyway, remember, God said, my grace is sufficient for thee. And by the way, that's part of the Bible. That's part of God's word. So I say the sufficiency of scripture. I, I, I have heard this passage re- referred to many times, and even in my lifetime, people saying my grace, God's grace is sufficient, Right? And so it is, and that's a promise. See, that's why it's written. That's why, you know, God never said that to us directly like he did Paul, but it's here, and it's, so it's, there's, it's applied to us as well. So, God, may the Lord help us. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, thank, we were thankful for this time that we can be here to look into thy precious word, and we thank thee for thy grace and thy power and thy strength. And so help us to avail ourselves of the grace of God in times of need and for every day, and just lead us and give us wisdom, Lord, in how to trust in thy grace and how to appropriate it in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's take our hymn books. Uh, One thing I meant to do, and it kind of slipped my mind, I wanted to uh, look into the story behind the hymn that we're going to sing.
severe ones as they travel to their homes. Just clear the way for them. We pray their safety. We thank you for the day, dear Lord, and mostly for your uh, presence with us and your love for us and for uh, the great hymns that we could sing and the scriptures that we could study. And we just thank you. I thank you for those who came under the ministry of thy word today. And just watch over us now, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.